You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. people wrote about New York City at the turn of the last century, like O. Henry. Everything was a mixture of old and new, from horse-drawn cabs and gas lights in the parks, to cafes and all-night lunch counters using electric lights and sporting wall-mounted telephones in the back. There were millionaires and bums, Irish cops, up-and-comings, and down-and-outs, in a city of millions, even then. Tonight we share two O. Henry short stories you're sure to enjoy. And how times have changed. Look for these lines in the upcoming story. When I first read them, I broke out laughing. It's classic O. Henry. Now, t'was a peaceful and happy home that all of us had in them same Beersheba flats. The O'Dowds and the Steinowitzes, and the Callahans and the Cohens, and the Spizzinellis and the McManuses, and the Spiegelmeyers and the Joneses, all nations of us. We lived like one big family together. And when the hot nights came along, we kept a line of children reaching from our front door to Kelly's on the corner, passing along the cans of beer from one to another without the trouble of running after it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Classic O. Henry. The City of Dreadful Night by O. Henry. During the recent warmed-over spell, said my friend Carney, driver of Express Wagon number 8606, a good many opportunities was had of observing human nature through peekaboo wastes. The park commissioner and the commissioner of police and the forestry commission gets together and agrees to let the people sleep in the parks until the weather bureau gets the thermometer down again to a living basis. So they draws up open-air resolutions and has them okayed by the secretary of agriculture, Mr. Comstock, and the Village Improvement Mosquito Exterminating Society of South Orange, New Jersey. When the proclamation was made opening up to the people by special grant, the public parks that belonged to them, there was a general exodus into Central Park by the communities existing along its borders. At ten minutes after sundown, you'd have thought that there was an undress rehearsal of a potato famine in Ireland and a Kishinev massacre. They'd come by families, gangs, clambake societies, clans, clubs, and tribes from all sides to enjoy a cool sleep on the grass. Them that didn't have oil stoves brought along plenty of blankets so as not to be upset with the cold and discomforts of sleeping outdoors. By building fires of the shade trees and huddling together in the bridle paths and burrowing under the grass where the ground was soft enough, the likes of 5,000 head of people successfully battled against the night air in Central Park alone. You know I live in the elegant furnished apartment house called Beersheba Flats over against the elevated portion of the New York Central Railroad. When the order came to the flats that all hands must turn out and sleep in the park, according to the instructions of the consulting committee of the city club, 
and the Murphy Drain, Returfing, and Siding Company, there was a look of a couple of fires and an eviction all over the place. The tenants began to pack up feather beds, rubber boots, strings of garlic, hot water bags, portable canoes, and scuttles of coal to take along for the sake of comfort. The sidewalk looked like a Russian camp in Oyama's line of Mareb. There was waiting and lamenting up and down stairs from Danny Georg Higgins flat on the top floor to the apartments of Mrs. Goldstein Upsky on the first. For why, says Danny, coming down and raging in his blue yarn socks to the janitor, should I be turned out of my comfortable apartments to be laid on the city grass like a rabbit? Tis like Jerome to stir up trouble with small matters like this instead of whist, says Officer Reagan on the sidewalk, rapping with his club. Tis not Jerome, tis by order of the police commissioner. Turn out every one of you and hike yourselves to the park now. Now, "'Twas a peaceful and happy home that all of us had in them same Beersheba flats. "'The O'Dowds and the Steinowitzes and the Callahans and the Coens "'and the Spizzinellis and the McManuses and the Spiegelmeyers and the Joneses, "'all nations of us. "'We lived like one big family together. "'And when the hot nights come along, "'we kept a line of children reaching from the front door "'to Kelly's on the corner, "'passing along the cans of beer from one to another "'without the trouble of running after it and with no more clothing on than is provided for in the statutes, sitting all in the windies with a cool growler in every one, and your feet out in the air, and the Rosenstein girls singing on the fire escape of the sixth floor, and Patsy Rourke's flute going in the eighth, and the ladies calling each other synonyms out the windows, and now and then a breeze sailing in over Mr. Depew's Central. I tell you the Beersheba Flats was a summer resort that made the Catskills look like a bowl in the ground. With his person full of beer and his feet out the windy and his old woman frying pork chops over the charcoal furnace and the children dancing in cotton slips on the sidewalk around the organ grinder and the rent paid for a week. What does a man want better on a hot night than that? And then comes this ruling of the police driving people out their comfortable homes to sleep in the parks. Twas for all the world like a UK so them were Russians. Twill be heard from again at next election time, I promise you. Well, then, Officer Reagan drives the whole lot of us to the park and turns us in by the nearest gate. Tis dark under the trees, and all the children sets up to howling that they want to go home. You'll pass the night in this stretch of woods and scenery, says Officer Reagan. Twill be fine, an imprisonment for insulting the park commissioner and the chief of the weather bureau if ye refuse. I'm in charge of thirty acres between here and the Egyptian monument, and I advise ye to give no trouble. "'Tis sleeping on the grass ye have all been condemned to by the authorities. "'Ye shall be permitted to leave in the morning, but you must return by tonight. "'Me orders was silent on the subject of bail, but I'll find out if tis required, "'and there'll be bondsmen at the gate.' "'Well, there being no lights except along the automobile drives, "'us 179 tenants of the Beersheba Flats prepared to spend the night as best we could in the raging forest.' Them that brought blankets and kindling wood was best off. They got fire started and wrapped the blankets round their heads and laid down, cursing, in the grass. There was nothing to see, nothing to drink, nothing to do. In the dark we had no way of telling friend or foe except by feeling the noses of them. I brought along me last winter overcoat, me toothbrush, some quinine pills, and the red quilt off the bed in me flat. 
Three times during the night somebody rolled on me quilt and stuck his knees against the Adam's apple of me. And three times I judged his character by running me hand over his face, and three times I rose up and kicked the intruder down the hill to the gravelly walk below. And then someone with a flavor of Kelly's whiskey snuggled up glad to me, and I found his nose turned up the right way, and I says, Is that you then, Patsy? And he says, It is, Carney. How long do you think it'll last? I'm no weather prophet, says I, but if they bring out a strong anti-Tammany ticket next fall, it ought to get us home in time to sleep on a bed once or twice before they line us up at the poles. A plan of my flute into the air shaft, says Patsy Rourke, and a perspiring in me own windy to the joyful noise of the passing trains and the smell of liver and onions and a reading of the latest murder in the smoke of cooking is well enough for me, says he. What is this herding us in the grass for? not to mention the crawling things with legs that walk up the trousers and the Jersey snipes that peck at us, masquerading under the name and denomination of mosquitoes. What is it all for Carney and the rent going on just the same over at the flats? Tis the great annual municipal free night out in lawn party, says I, given by the police, Hetty Green, and the Drug Trust. During the heated season, they hold a week of it in the principal parks. "'Tis a scheme to reach that portion of the people "'that's not worth taking up the North Beach for a fish fry, come pole time. "'I can't sleep on the ground,' says Patsy, "'with any benefit. "'I have the hay fever and the rheumatism, "'and me car's full of ants.' "'Well, the night goes on, "'and the ex-tenants of the flats groans and stumbles around in the dark, "'trying to find rest and recreation in the forest. "'The children is screaming with the coldness and the janitor makes hot tea for him and keeps the fires going with the signboards that point to the tavern and the casino. The tenants try to lay down on the grass by families in the dark, but you're lucky if you could sleep next to a man from the same floor or believing in the same religion. Now and then a Murphy, accidental, rolls over on the grass of a Rosenstein, or Cohen tries to crawl under the O'Grady bush. Then there's a feeling of noses, and somebody's rolled down the hill to the driveway and stays there. There is some hair pulling among the women folks, and everybody spanks the nearest howling kid to him by the sense of feeling only, regardless of his parentage and ownership. It is hard to keep the social dysfunctions in the dark that flourish by daylight in the Beersheba Flats. Mrs. Rafferty, that despises the asphalt that a dago trends on, wakes up in the morning with her feet in the bosom of Antonio Spizzinelli. And Mike O'Dowd, that always threw peddlers downstairs as fast as he came on them, has to unwind old Isaac Stein's whiskers from around his neck and wake up the whole gang at daylight. But here and there, some few got acquainted and overlooked the discomforts of the elements. There was five engagements to be married announced at the flats the next morning. About midnight, I gets up and wrings the dew out of my hair and goes to the side of the driveway and sits down. At one side of the park, I could see the lights in the streets and houses, and I was thinking how happy them folks was who could chase the duck and smoke their pipes at their windows and keep cool and pleasant, like nature intended for them to. Just then an automobile stops by me, and a fine-looking, well-dressed man steps out. Me man, says he, can you tell me why all these people are lying around on the grass in the park? I thought it was against the rules. T'was an ordinance, says I just passed by the police department and ratified by the Turf Cutters Association, providing that all persons not carrying a license number on their rear axles 
shall keep in the public parks until further notice. Fortunately, the orders comes this year during a spell of fine weather, and the mortality, except on the borders of the lake and along the automobile drives, will not be any greater than usual. Who are these people on the side of the hill? asks the man. Sure, says I, none others than the tenants of the Beersheba Flats, a fine home for any man, especially on hot nights. May daylight come soon. They come here by night, says he, and breathe in the pure air and the fragrance of the flowers and trees. They do that, says he, coming every night from the burning beat of dwellings of brick and stone. And wood, says I, and marble and plaster and iron. The matter will be attended to at once, says the man, putting up his book. Are you the park commissioner? I asks. I own the Beersheba Flats, says he. God bless the grass and the trees that give extra benefits to the man's tenants. The rents shall be raised 15% tomorrow. Good night, says he. And our second story, After Twenty Years, by O. Henry. The policeman on the beat moved up the avenue impressively. The impressiveness was habitual and not for show, for spectators were few. The time was barely ten o'clock at night, but chilly gusts of wind with a taste of rain in them had well-nigh de-peopled the streets. Trying doors as he went, twirling his club with many intricate and artful movements, turning now and then to cast his watchful eye adown the Pacific thoroughfare, the officer, with his stalwart form and slight swagger, made a fine picture of the guardian of the peace. The vicinity was one that kept early hours. Now and then you might see the lights of a cigar store or of an all-night lunch counter, but the majority of the doors belonged to business places that had long since been closed. When about midway of a certain block, the policeman suddenly slowed his walk. In the doorway of a darkened hardware store, a man leaned with an unlighted cigar in his mouth. As the policeman walked up to him, the man spoke up quickly. "'It's all right, officer,' he said, reassuringly. "'I'm just waiting for a friend. "'It's an appointment made twenty years ago. "'Sounds a little funny to you, doesn't it? "'Well, I'll explain if you like, to make certain it's all straight. "'About that long ago there used to be a restaurant where this store stands. "'Big Joe Brady's Restaurant.' Yeah, "'Until five years ago.' said the policeman. It was torn down then. The man in the doorway struck a match and lit his cigar. The light showed a pale, square-jawed face with keen eyes and a little white scar near his right eyebrow. His scarf pin was a large diamond, oddly set. Twenty years ago tonight, said the man, I dined here at Big Joe Brady's with Jimmy Wells, my best chum, and the finest chap in the world. He and I were raised here in New York, just like two brothers together. I was 18, Jimmy was 20. The next morning I was to start out for the West to make my fortune. You couldn't have dragged Jimmy out of New York. He thought it was the only place on earth. Well, we agreed that night that we would meet here again exactly 20 years from that date and time, no matter what our conditions might be or from what distance we might have to come. We figured that in 20 years each of us ought to have our destiny worked out and our fortunes made, whatever they were going to be. 
It sounds pretty interesting, said the policeman. Rather a long time between meets, though, seems to me. Haven't you heard from your friends since you left? Well, yes, for a time we corresponded, said the other. But after a year or two, we lost track of each other. You see, the West is a pretty big proposition, and I kept hustling around over it pretty lively. But I know Jimmy will meet me here if he's alive, for he always was the truest, staunchest old chap in the world. He'll never forget. I came a thousand miles to stand in this door tonight, and it's worth it if my old partner turns up. The waiting man pulled out a handsome watch, the lids of it set with small diamonds. Three minutes to ten, he announced. It was exactly ten o'clock when we parted here at the restaurant door. Did pretty well out west, didn't you? asked the policeman. Yeah, you bet. I hope Jimmy's done half as well. He was a kind of plotter, though, good fellow as he was. I've had to compete with some of the sharpest wits going to get my pile. A man gets in a groove in New York. It takes the west to put a razor edge on him. The policeman twirled his club and took a step or two. Yeah, I'll be on my way. I hope your friend comes around all right. Going to call time on him sharp? I should say not, said the other. I'll give him half an hour at least. If Jimmy's alive on earth, he'll be here by that time. So long, officer. Good night, sir, said the policeman, passing along on his beat, trying doors as he went. There was now a fine, cold drizzle falling, and the wind had risen from its uncertain puffs into a steady blow. The few foot passengers astir in that quarter hurried dismally and silently along with coat collars turned high and pocketed hands. And in the door of the hardware store, the man who had come a thousand miles to fill an appointment, uncertain almost to absurdity, with the friend of his youth, smoked his cigar and waited. About twenty minutes he waited, and then a tall man in a long overcoat, with collar turned up to his ears, hurried across from the opposite side of the street. He went directly to the waiting man. "'Is that you, Bob?' he asked doubtfully. "'Is that you, Jimmy Wells?' cried the man in the door. "'Bless my heart!' exclaimed the new arrival, grasping both the other's hands with his own. "'It's Bob, sure as fate!' I was certain I'd find you here if you were still in existence. Well, well, well. Twenty years is a long time. The old gone, Bob. I wish it had lasted, so we could have had another dinner there. How's the West treated you, old man? Bully. It's given me everything I asked for. You've changed lots, Jimmy. I never thought you were so tall by two or three inches. Oh, I grew a bit after I was twenty. Doing well in New York, Jimmy? "'Moderately. I have a position in one of the city departments. "'Come on, Bob. We'll go around to a place I know of "'and have a good long talk about old times.' "'The two men started up the street, arm in arm. "'The man from the West, his egotism enlarged by success, "'was beginning to outline the history of his career. "'The other, submerged in his overcoat, listened with interest. "'At the corner stood a drugstore, brilliant with electric lights.' When they came into this glare, each of them turned simultaneously to gaze upon the other's face. The man from the West stopped suddenly and released his arm. "'You're not Jimmy Wells,' he snapped. Twenty years is a long time, but not long enough to change a man's nose from a Roman to a pug.' 
"'I'd sometimes change as a good man into a bad one,' said the tall man. "'You've been under arrest for ten minutes, Silky Bob. "'Chicago thinks you may have dropped over our way "'and wires us she wants to have a chat with you. "'Going quietly now, are you? "'That's sensible. "'Now before we go on to the station, "'here's a note I was asked to hand you. "'You may read it here at the window. "'It's from Patrolman Wells.' The man from the West unfolded the little piece of paper handed him. His hand was steady when he began to read, but it trembled a little by the time he'd finished. The note was rather short. Bob, I was at the appointed place on time. When you struck the match to light your cigar, I saw it was the face of a man wandered in Chicago. Somehow I couldn't do it myself, so I went around and got a plainclothes man to do the job. Signed, Jimmy. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classy Short Stories and Tales. We've been getting some great reviews lately that we'd like to share, and we hope you take a moment and share yours as well. We'll read the new ones in a moment. But first, we're asking all of you who enjoy our work here to take a moment and visit our page at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network, where you can become a patron of our show for about the cost of a cup of blended coffee every month and receive special new episodes from me as a bonus for your support. Most of all, you'll be helping us to get to 1,001 episodes, a goal I'm serious about. I'm also serious about helping a world of readers to get familiar with the great writers whose stories have become classics. We're family-friendly, we promote classic literature, and we hope to open minds to history and literature. I think that's a worthwhile effort, and I'm doing the 1,001 shows full-time now. So take a moment and pledge your support. Most of us listen to requests like this all the time, and we just move on and ignore them. But I'm asking you to take an extra few minutes and check us out and help us, because only when you act can you make a difference. Patreon.com forward slash 1001storiesnetwork.com We'll leave a link for you in the show notes. Thank you. And here's those reviews we promised. The first one, five stars. Fantastic. This is exactly what I've been looking for. Short stories to listen to at work. I enjoy the selection of works as well as the narrator. My only critique is that the added sound effects are distracting. Just leave them out. But still leaving a five-star review. Thanks, Daniel. That's from D.W. Wooden, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, great show, five stars. Thanks, John. That one from Din Nez, Apple Podcast, India. And this one, wonderful podcast, five stars. I enjoy this podcast very much. It's helped me to find many exciting authors and pass many a dull commute. I find the people complaining about the ads silly. This is a high-quality podcast, which we get to listen to for free. The creators have to find the money to make it somewhere. I don't mind the ads at all. Thank you, and keep up the good work. That one from Freyabo, Apple Podcast, Australia. And this one, great podcast, five stars. Thanks for making my drive to and from work more enjoyable. I appreciate the selection of classics and great short stories that I unfortunately don't have the time at the moment to read. So keep them coming. That one from Pokey Bro Mikey, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, choice, five stars. Very good choice of literature. I also like the manner of reading. That one from Ogella, Apple Podcast, Ukraine. And this one, five stars. This podcast brings back so many memories. 
So long ago now I read many of these stories, treasuring their large, old-fashioned books from my grandmother's library. It is so good to be reminded of them again. Lovely, lovely podcast. That one from Amanda Zataz, Apple Podcast, Australia. And this one, five stars, restored my faith in humanity. Love this. Great choice in stories. Excellent voice narration. Nice addition of music. Nice length of stories. Enough to fit in and enjoy between moments of busy life. Listening to famous literature makes me feel more educated, albeit in a lazy way. Not sure if my high school literature teacher would approve. Grew tired of listening to nonfiction life how-tos. These stories fill the soul in a completely different way than any kind of nonfiction. That from Heidi, my honest opinion, Apple Podcast. And Heidi, I agree with you. I feel the same way about these stories. And this one, wonderful. Thank you for your wonderful storytelling from an American in France. That one from Rach, California, Apple Podcast, France. And this one. And this one. Love it. Five stars. Interesting topics. Keep up the good work. That one from Akur01, Apple Podcast, Canada. Thank you so much, everyone. Your reviews are appreciated. And thanks to those of you. Thanks to those of you who have become Patreon supporters. We appreciate that very much. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.